Well, good morning. Welcome this morning to Relevant Faith Church. We are excited that you are with us, that you have joined us this morning. And so today we're going to start a new series called Four Cups. Four Cups. This is a series that um, I have touched on before in the past, uh, many, many years ago, predating, I think, most everyone here. Um, if uh, just a few people may recall this message, it's, it's inspired by a book that was written by a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama called Four Cups. And it takes this, this idea of the celebration meal that is part of the Jewish faith known as Passover, and it breaks it down into how it's actually celebrated biblically. If you notice, and, and, and a couple of things you'll notice throughout the series, in, in, when Jesus was having a Passover meal with his disciples, he mentioned the, phrase, the word cup several times. And, and you almost, if you, if you read it, it kind of glosses over it, or you might even think, oh, well, he's just talking about the same cup. But the reality is, to the Passover celebration, there are four cups that they would then pass as part of their celebration in Passover. And so this morning, I want to... Uh, begin this process in this series on what this actually means. Because there are a lot of Jews today still celebrate the Passover this way. There are a lot of Messianic Jews that celebrate the Passover this way. And there are still there are a lot of Christians that celebrate the Passover this way. And so I want to encourage you to, to, to gain some knowledge and some wisdom as to what this looks like. Because it is a very, very powerful thing uh, that you could actually institute as part of your life. But even if for nothing else they are um, very important to understand because they were based on promises God gave the children of Israel. And those promises are still active and still alive today. So for the next six weeks, um, I'm going to take you on this journey that I, will be, I believe will be life-changing that began more than 3,000 years ago when God spoke to his people, the Israelites, with promises that I believe still stand today. So to jump into this, we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 4. This is what the Bible says, and this is kind of the, the, the main center point passage of Scripture for the entire six-week series. It says, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. It's really, really, really critically important to your faith to understand that there are promises that God has given you that he is intended for you to walk in. So I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes before we get into this just about promises. Promises do two things. Number one, they help you to participate in a divine nature. So God has this, is this divine being, and he has this divine nature. And when we access the promises of God, we are participating in his divine nature. We're all participating in something. And sometimes, oftentimes, if I can dare say most of the time, it is not so divine. It's more, let me say it like this. Even Christians and believers are oftentimes reflecting a whole lot more of what the world looks like than necessarily what Christianity looks like or what Christ looks like. I think many are actually, in, 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 in a very abstract way and in a deceived way, are walking in the plans that the devil has for us rather than the plans that God has for us. The truth is there is a very real devil and he is a very real thing and he is very re in a very real way after your soul. 
If you don't feel like you are pressed too often by the devil and life is good, good chances, good chances you're oblivious to the things of God. But if you feel pressed and you feel like God, you, just, just, you can't get ahead, especially when you start to do well and you start to feel like the attacks come on you, it's because there's a very real devil that wants you to have nothing to do with Christ. If you are a, not even a resemblance of Christ, maybe you come to church on a Sunday morning and you lift up your hands and worship and maybe, maybe you pray from time to time or when something goes wrong, you reach out to God and say, oh God, I, I need you. The devil's probably not so concerned with that because it's a, it's, a self, it's a selfishness kind of Christianity that says, it's all about me. I'll serve when I can serve. I'll give whenever I feel like giving. I'll pray whenever I need to pray. I'll study eh, when I hear the pastor preach on Sunday morning, but I'll go to church on Sunday morning. The devil's probably not too concerned with you simply because he's concerned with people who are changing lives. And so if you're feeling that pressing there's a good chance you're walking somewhere close to God or something God's trying to do in you, he's trying to distract you from. So by engaging in the promises with God, it helps us to participate in a divine nature. And the second thing it helps us do, it helps us escape the corruption of this world. The passage of scripture says these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. So you share in the divine nature of God, but you you're able to escape the corruption of the world. These promises are actually a weapon for you to use. For example, and this is one I used to teach to teenagers all the time when I was a youth pastor many, many years ago. I would say, you know, you were created in the image of God, and He has this glorious plan for your life, and that you are a reflection of His glory, a reflection of His image. You are wonderfully and marvelously made. You are this beautiful masterpiece of God. Why is that important? Because if you talk to a lot of teenagers today, they would tell you that they're not good enough, they're not smart enough, they're not pretty enough, they're not this enough, they're not that enough. So the promise of God, God said, I made you in my image, you were fearfully and wonderfully made, I have, you are a reflection of my glory, and you are a manifestation of who I am. That's a whole lot of promise to combat that you're not good enough, or you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, or you're not wise enough, you're not wealthy enough, or whatever it is that you may not necessarily be enough. The reality is these promises are a weapon. The Word of God is called a sword of the Spirit for a reason. Because if you look at, if you look at the whole armor of God in, in Ephesians, and we're not going to get too deep into this, because I don't want to venture too far off of what I have to preach, but if you look at it, everything about the armor of God suggests a defense. The boots, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. That is all defense. But then it calls the sword of the spirit. And now if you think about it, if you think about a shield, you think about a breastplate, you think about all those things, physically, they defend. They help you to defend. But a sword has never been mistaken as a defensive weapon. The sword is absolutely an offensive weapon meant to do damage. That's what the Bible calls this. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. So when you, start to, when you start to proclaim the gospel and the promises that are in the gospel, you are actually starting to fight against all those things that are coming against you. So let's define for a moment the word promise. This is in your notes. When you came in with your connection cards, you got a note sheet. Let's define the word promise. It'll be up on the screen. The word promise in this context, in biblical context, is an offer with a guaranteed result. 
That's what the word promise. How many of you have been promised something before by somebody in your friend, in your friend group, your family, or whatever, only for that promise to be completely broken? Right? So that promise is with good intentions. And I often tell people, and I already drank my coffee this morning. I drank it fast. I don't know if that's good or bad for y'all. But I often tell people, your good intentions and $6.17 can buy a triple grande caramel macchiato at Starbucks. The price just keeps going up and up and up. And for some dumb reason, I keep paying it. But the reality is our intentions without follow through mean nothing. How many of you, if you're married in this place, and you are the wife and the husband-wife relationship, and your husband says, I'm going to do this, but then doesn't do it, how many know that's, that's a little bit frustrating, right? I can say this because I am the I'm going to do this guy, and my wife is the one you didn't do this woman. So it's, it's, but when they're talking about the promises of Scripture, this is a, an offer from God with a guaranteed result. God's promises, the Bible even says, are all what? Anybody know? Yes and amen. What does that mean? God says yes, meaning it's done. Here it is. It's yours. Yes, you can have that. Amen. So be it. Let it be done as you have spoken or as it has been written. So all God's promises are yes and amen. As a matter of fact, Joshua says it like this in chapter 21, verse 45. Not a single one of the good promises the Lord has, had given to my family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Now, if you follow along with Joshua's life and you listen to and you, and you read through, throughout Scripture and what he had to say, you see that God promised him and his people a whole, whole mess of things. Probably far more things than we feel like God's promised us, but a whole bunch of things have come from God to Joshua and to his family. And he tells us that not one was left unfulfilled and everything he spoke came true. How awesome would that be if when someone promised you something, it actually happened? How awesome would that be that when they said, I'm going to love you for the rest of your life, it actually took place, or I'm going to change the light in the basement that's been out for three months, it actually came on the next time you walked in and flipped the switch. It would be amazing, right? But we live in this flawed society, in this flawed world, because of the sin of man, and the only one whose promises are guaranteed is God. So they, they, here's, the, here's the challenge, though. Many of our promises may not have been fulfilled when we've wanted them, or even how we've wanted them, but they're always fulfilled. Hebrews chapter 6, 17 and 18, in the message version, I just like the way that it says it. It says, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word, and because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let it go. Leave that up on the screen for a second. I love this description, the, the cool thing about the message version, while I don't find it as very beneficial for study, because it just doesn't have 
doesn't have the, what you need to study from, but wow, the, the poetry and the imagery in the message version is powerful. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word, and because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. This is why you're going to see in just a minute as we get to the Old Testament passage of Scripture for today, you're going to see the promises that God made, and then you're going to see the reflection of those promises even in the New Testament, that for 3,000 years these promises could not be changed. Then he goes on to say, we have who we, sorry, we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. Wow, how powerful of an image is that to grab the promises that God has and hold them with both hands, holding tight, never letting go. No matter what may come against you, you can stand on the word of God because God, number one, cannot lie and his love and everything about him is unchangeable. And if you know that and you know his promises are that way, imagine the, imagine the beauty of what happens when you hold on to them for dear life, like white knuckle grip, like I'm not letting go of you, God. I mean, that's what happened to Jacob. He said, I'm not letting go, God. Finally, God, I I mean, the imagery, and it's hard to imagine God ever getting tired, but Jacob would wrestle and would not let go, and God's like, dude, I I can't keep doing this with you. Pat broke his hip, put him on the ground, I'm done. But he was a blessed nation because of that fervency to hold on to the promise of God. And if you understand that story, it actually came from sin, Jacob was not the most righteous person when he was wrestling with God. We have this image of Jacob being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we have this imagery of of righteousness, and it's like he wasn't the most righteous person when he was wrestling with God, when he wouldn't let go. And so there's this power when you hold on to these promises and never let go. I believe it's an unbreakable lifeline to the Holy Spirit. I believe that you're reaching past everything that appears in front of you right into the very presence of God. So there's three things I'm going to give you based on these, this, these verses. And I'm going to do these things very quickly because I want to pay attention to my time and there's something I want to get to for sure. As number one, I need to know the promises. I need to know his promises. You can't claim the promises of God if you do not know the promises of God. First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse number 19, the Bible says, for the sake of your servants, O Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these, th- these great things and have made them known. God has made his promises known to you. He has made his promises known in his word. And you have to know his word in order to know his promises. And so if, you, if, you, if we're struggling with knowing his word, that's very simple to fix. Ready? Here's your solution to fixing whether you know the promises of God. Open up the Bible and read it. Well, how often should I read it? Every single day. It really is that easy. So open up the Bible and read it. The reason why it's difficult is we complicate it with our lives. We complicate it with our choices. Well, I can't, I I don't have time to read the Bible because, man, I got to have, you know what I'd love? I'd I'd love it and not love it all at the same time. But there's this, this cool new thing on the iPhone. If you have anything other than an iPhone, I'm sorry. I'm a snob, sorry. 
this cool thing on the iPhone as you, as you swipe somewhere in your phone, whether you, depending on the version of the iPhone you have, there's this thing that's called screen time. It's on the very bottom of, of, of a page. It's almost inconspicuous, and you probably didn't even know it was there. Breaks it down to social networking, productivity, and entertainment. And if you tap the screen time, which I'm almost scared to do, it'll tell you today what your screen time is looking like. And it will tell you, you spent 37 minutes on Facebook this morning, or you spent 10 minutes on your web browser, or you spent six minutes in your notes. I, I am actually thankful today that I can be honest and say, I have 37 minutes in my Bible app. That's really cool, because that's not usually the case, if I'm being honest. But there's this thing, and so we, we will substitute our Facebook networking and our web browsing and our surfing and suggest, well, I really don't have time for God's word. I was really excited over the last several weeks to see my Facebook, my, my online screen time decreasing by double-digit percentage every week because that's been a, a focused goal of mine is to decrease, decrease it. Now, last, week it, last week's results were a little bit jaded because I worked four, like four 16-hour days, so there was no Facebook time. I didn't even look at the television. And so my numbers were a little bit jaded. They were down like 177%. That's not normal. I'm trying to stick to, to, to get this thing down double-digit percentage every day because I know that I have, can, can accomplish so much more in God's Word and with my family than I can ever in this thing. How many know that's difficult though, right? I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm just saying it's simple. Simple is very different from easy. The result, the, the, the solution is simple. Get in the Bible. The easy part's a whole other story. But there's a promise from God for every situation, a verse for everything that you're going through. Every single situation that you're facing in your life, you can find a promise from God. If you're battling with something, you can read 1 John chapter 4, 4 or Luke 10, 19 or Romans 8, 37 and find out that he's fighting the battle for you. If money is the problem, you can look at Philippians 4, 19 or Psalms 1, 1 through 3 and suggest that God owns everything anyway. There's a promise for everything that you may deal with. If you're dealing with sickness, Psalm 103.3 says, bless the Lord who heals my diseases. The promise is that he will heal your diseases. But again, we don't know these because we're not in this. You have to know the promises of God. Number two, I need to understand his promises. I have to know the promises of God, but I also have to understand his promises. This is where people get frustrated. They think God's got this false advertisement thing going on. Kind of like a McDonald's commercial. You ever look at a McDonald's commercial and see this beautiful Big Mac that's like makes you hungry for a Big Mac and you look at it and say, man, that thing looks nice. How many of you have ever gotten a Big Mac that looks like the commercial? Never. For me, that's false advertisement. I go and open my Big Mac. I really want to take it back. Say, this doesn't look like the commercial. Can you try again? I don't eat a Big Mac, so. But the whole point is we think that God is in this false advertisement business because it's not what we want, it's not how we want, it's not when we want, and it's not where we want. So therefore, it, 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 God's not doing his job. Numbers chapter 23 says it like this. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Can someone say amen to that right there? You live in a life where everybody's changing their mind every five seconds and we serve a God who does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Bible asks a question, let's answer it. Has anybody, can anybody find biblical reference where he's ever spoken but he didn't act? 
Has he ever promised and not carried it through? So this is, this is the word of God saying that this is God. And just because it doesn't come the way we want it to come or how we want it to come or where we want it to come does not mean that he's not fulfilling his promise. The one thing I will say is every promise of God has a premise. There is a role you and I play in seeing God's promises fulfilled. It's not just a, okay, God, you promised, now I'm going to sit here and wait. My hands are open. Come on, God. Give me that money. Got to pay that electric bill. God, my hands are open. I'm lonely. I need love. Give me that love. There is a role that you and I play. Part of that role is living in a right relationship with God. If we're not living in a right relationship with God, you're probably not going to see the fulfillment of all God's promises the way that he necessarily intended it. But every promise has a premise. He always, always requires faith to walk in his promises. So here's my pastoral advice to you this morning. Get used to it. Because he always requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is absolutely impossible to understand, know, and walk in the promises of God. But here's the thing. He does it his way and his time, and it's always perfect, and he never fails. Number three. So I need to know his promises. I need to understand his promises I need to pursue his promises. I need to pursue his promises. They don't automatically come to you. Sometimes you got to chase them down. And so that's the thing. That's my hope in this message series is that we are going to help you with that part, with the chasing down the promises of God. This is a series on spiritual maturity that begins wherever you are. If you've been serving Christ for six minutes, it's going to start right there. If you've been serving him for six years, it's going to start right there. If you've been serving him for longer than I have been alive, it's going to start right there. But any way, shape, or form, this is a spiritual maturity series. The goal is that you look back on this day in six weeks, and hopefully you are not the same. Hopefully you walk out with such a power and such an experience with God that it changes not just your life, but the lives of your children and your children's children should the Lord tarry that long and leave us here on earth. Psalm 119 verse 140 says, your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. The promises of God are tested and have always stood up to the test. David said in that same psalm, just eight verses later, I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. So do you think on the promises of God? Do you meditate on the promises of God? Do you embrace them in your day-to-day thought, in your day-to-day life? Because that, honestly, church, is what it's going to take to see it happen. And, I, and I, I, I'm no different there have been times that I have been beat down, that I have been weary, that I have been tired, exhausted, barely ever even trying to make it and saying, you know, it'd be so much easier if I just did this. Whether I'd quit, give up, do something else, 
Yes, I'm talking about myself right now. I am just like you in that aspect. But there's something about the promise of God. There's something about knowing what he has ordained and what he has promised that causes me to grab a hold of it and hold on on to it. Come hell or high water, I am going after what God has already planned and ordained for me because ultimately that's where I'm going to find life. I'm not going to find it in quitting. I'm not going to find it in stepping back. I'm not going to find it in, well, you know what? I'm going through something, so I'm just going to have to take a step back right now. Man, as a pastor, I have dealt with that with volunteers, staff members, all kinds of different ways. I'm going through something, so I need to take a step back right now. And I want to get up and yell at them and say, no, you don't. You just need to take a step forward right now. Take a step forward into the promise of God. Because taking a step back doesn't allow you to do anything except contemplate on what you failed in in life. Take a step forward and push through it. Now you know, wow, wait a minute. God has got promises for me. I can actually power my way through some of these things called life and then come out on the other side and say, oh, my Lord, look at what God has done. Because here's the thing. When you take a step back, you're now taking a step and saying, I'm now in control. Let me figure out how to handle these things. When you take a step forward, You're taking a step into a very, very challenging place. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know where it's going to happen. But when it happens, it's like, look, now I can give God glory because there's no way I could have done it. That's the difference in, in seeing God's promises. That's the whole idea of pursuing God's promises. And so for the last few minutes, I'm going to share with you these core promises that are going to pardon me, set the stage for the rest of this series. I'm not going to go into too much depth about them each because we're going to get do that as this series goes on, but I want, to, I want to set a foundation for you. These are God's core promises. God has made so many promises to his people, and they're all centered around these four things. These four promises were first made to the people of Israel while they're in Egypt in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. The next six weeks, are going to be based on these two passages of Scripture. In the NIV version of the Bible, this is what the Bible says. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is the premise of the four cups and the whole Passover celebration. Jewish people call these the four I wills. They're part of the annual Passover celebration. They're still, I believe, still the heart of God for you today. And while you may not necessarily celebrate them in the Passover tradition, I believe that they are the heart of God for you today. And here they are. Number one, I will bring you out. The children of Israel are enslaved to the Egyptians, and they receive this message that says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of slavery with the Egyptians. I will bring you out. God promises you salvation. God promises you salvation. Salvation is not being religious. It's not joining a church. It's when I give Jesus control of my life. That's what salvation is. I am giving Jesus control of my life. It's based on this idea of repentance. 
Repentance is very simple. When I repent, I'm actually acknowledging what I have done and that I'm literally turning my back and going the opposite direction. It's not, it's not this I'm acknowledging and then I'm turning and oh, whoa, I kept on turning and I have to keep on acknowledging every day. That's not repentance. Sometimes we confuse repentance with, oh my gosh, I got caught. Can you forgive me? That's not repentance. Repentance means I've acknowledged my sin, my failures, and now I'm turning my back on them and I'm going to walk away. The promise of God is I will bring you out. We are all yoked in slavery to sin. We are born into it. We have no choice but to have to deal with it because every single day we are born into sin. But you can get your life back to where God intended it to be. Titus chapter 3 verses 3 through 8 in the message version said it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid. I love the message version sometimes. I just need to hear it like that sometimes. Am I the only one that needs to hear it like that? Welcome to my world, folks. That's my wife. She'll be here all day. It wasn't so long that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glance, <laughs> going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when, look, I love this, but, but when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all of that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people. Washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit, our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. And he says, you can count on this. Somebody in this room today needs to make that decision. Whether it's for the very first time in your life this morning, or whether it's I just need to acknowledge where I am and come back to Christ. Somebody needs to accept that, that, that promise of salvation where he said, I will bring you out. Number two, he says, I will free you. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. See, you have to, when it comes to our walk with Christ, you have to acknowledge that I need to be brought out. And I'm being brought out. Now, once you're brought out and you say, God, you are my God. I am your child. Uh, you lead the way and I will follow. Now you need to be set free. You need to be set free from those, that sin, that, that, that bondage that has kept, you, kept and held you. And when you give your life to Christ, your spirit, your spirit man is made perfect. That's it. That, that connection with Christ is perfect. But our natural, how I many you know your natural needs some work? Need a facelift, need a heart lift, need to overhaul the engine. You need some work. And I mean, you know, it takes some time, right? You don't just give a mechanic your car on a Tuesday and say, I need a complete overhaul of my entire car and expect it back on Wednesday, right? Says the mechanic in the room, that ain't happening. But that's what folks expect, right? I'm not lying, that's what they expect. It's no different with God. When you step into a relationship with God, yes, this is made perfect. Your spirit is made perfect, but the whole body, whoo, that takes some time. And for some of us who are stupid and stubborn, it takes a little bit more time. Amen. I'm preaching to someone this morning, and they're getting it. That's great. Thank you so much. A woman, not my wife, isn't perfect in this place. And we like to have fun in this place. Man, deliverance. So 
so hold on a second. Let me get back. I got ahead of myself for a second. But that's the process. It takes time to step into this freedom that God has for you. In this process of being free, God promises you deliverance. I got myself ahead of there. The deliver, deliverance is, is different than from salvation. Deliverance isn't for pe- necessarily only for people with demons. We think of the word deliverance and we think of demonics, demonic oppression. We think of demons. It's not just for demons, for anyone who's still struggling with their sin nature. Is there anyone in the room that would say, hey, pastor, I'm still struggling with my sin nature this morning? And if you're not, then let me just help you out real quick and let you know I love you, but you're a liar. I'm just saying. The Bible says each day we all fall short of the glory of God. If you're not falling short of the glory of God, then you must be Jesus. I'll throw some water down here. Let me see you walk on it. I know I'm being a smart aleck right now. Welcome, welcome back to Relevant Faith Church, Pastor Mike. I've missed y'all. I really have. You laugh at me and I love it. But God promises me deliverance. Romans chapter 7, 25 through to verse number 8. The first couple of verses says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. That's how he ends that passage of scripture. And then the very next one, he starts the very next chapter. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those that belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of life of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That is the promise of God. If you have given your heart and life to Christ, there is no condemnation for you. You are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. There might be some consequences, but no condemnation. Consequence of our sin is very different than condemnation. Condemnation is eternal. God is not eternally damning you to hell. That's not, that's not what he's doing because you gave your life to Christ. Con- consequences, however, is you made some choices and some decisions. Now you got to live with the, re- with the effects of those decisions and those choices. It's different from salvation. Salvation takes care of your eternity. Deliverance determines your quality of life while you're still here on earth. Salvation is instant. Deliverance is a process. Some of, I believe everyone in this room just needs that promise from God that says, I am free. Number three, I will redeem you. He says, I will redeem you. Look at the, again, look at the passage of scripture in Exodus 6 verse 7. He says, I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you. To redeem something means to put it back to its original intent. Once we experience salvation and deliverance, now you're being put back to your original intent. God promises you restoration. God promises you restoration. This is where the the, the believer's life gets exciting. For me, restoration is where the life of the believer gets exciting. Unfortunately, too many of us never get there because they can't handle, they cannot handle the salvation part and the deliverance part. They can't handle those parts. They get lost in the in-between. But once they get through that and they get to this place of restoration, look what Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 says. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. 
Somebody in this room needs to hear this this morning. You need to find out what your life is about. You need to find out what he is doing in you and through you and what he desires for your life. Because otherwise you are just wandering aimlessly. Number four, the last core promise I'll share with you this morning. Worship team, come and get set and just kind of play behind me, if you will. Number four, he says, I will take you as my own people. That's the final promise of God in this, in this message in Exodus chapter 6, verse number 7. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. The final promise of God is to put you on his team, to make a difference. It's the ultimate goal is to be put on God's team in order to make a difference. It's kind of like any athlete who plays a sport. All they want to do is be put on a team, and all they want to do is make a difference. Regardless of what that difference is, I just want to make a difference. God promises you this is where, this is where we can live this glorious life. God promises you fulfillment. He promises you fulfillment. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The words of Jesus. To give you a rich and satisfying life. This is the journey that you're on. This is the message of the four cups. And as we go into this message series for the next five weeks, you're going to experience some things with God and some things in your own hearts and in your own lives that if you allow it, will absolutely transform your life. Each of us are on our own spiritual journey. And no matter where you are, whether you've been a follower of Jesus most of your life or you've just recently invited him into your heart, you are on this journey. And this journey is, is it's like a roller coaster. And if you don't like roller coasters, whew, good luck with life. Because that's what life is. It's filled with highs and it's filled with lows and it's filled with twists and turns. And sometimes you feel like you're being flipped and turned upside down and you have no control. But at the very end of it all, there's God. And he's the navigator. He's the one shaping you along the journey. The road is the road. The road's already been determined. The sin of mankind and the sin of this world has determined the road. He's just the navigator shaping you while you're on that journey. So we always, when we pray, sometimes, sometimes we miss it because we're constantly praying, God, change my road. When the reality is God just wants to change this. The road can be the road. It can be twists and turns and flips upside down. It can be a complete and total chaotic mess. But if there's peace here, it doesn't make a difference what road you're on. It doesn't make a difference if you're on a simple, chilled roller coaster where you're to coasting or you are on the most violent flip and turn that when you get off, your head hurts. It doesn't make a difference what the road is. When there's peace here, 
when there's love here, this works. We cannot get into survival mode, church. We have to continue to pursue all that God has. And this series is going to get you going in that direction. I hope that the beginning of this is starting to bless your life and starting to cause you to begin to look into who you are and look into the promises of God because they are life-changing, church.